32. Number 32 in your hymnals. Let's sing, uh, Blessed Be the Name. Okay, come on the first. All praise to Him who reigns above in majesty supreme, who gave His Son for men to die, that He might men redeem. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the salvation that you did on the cross thank you Lord that this morning we can come and worship you help us Lord as we do Lord that we would uh, be attentive to you Lord, Lord as you preach Lord this morning help us Lord to learn something uh, from your word help us Lord to uh, love you more and learn how to serve you better Lord and Need, needs that are present here with us this morning. We pray, God, that you would meet all of them, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's sing the number 228. 228. What is this? 228. My faith has found a resting place. <clears throat> Oh, our four stanzas. 
returning on Thursday, so we should, uh, Lord willing, have them back in church next week, Sunday. We look forward to that, so please keep them in prayer as they travel to who, from Michigan to the islands. I have um, no idea whether they're stopping off somewhere, overnighting somewhere, or whatever it may be, but just uh, pray that uh, they will have good weather and no uh, airline delays, and uh, that we get to see them next week, Sunday. All right? All right, let's turn to number 493, 493. Let's all stand and we'll sing this song standing. After this, Brother Mike will come and preach for us. Uh, one, 493, since the Savior found me.
Thank you very much. You may be seated. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. During Jesus' earthly ministry, many times part of his approach and his method when trying to relate truth to people was to ask questions. Many times the questions that he asked were rhetorical questions, meaning the way the question was phrased, the answer was already implied. It's like making a statement in the form of a question. Many times when Jesus would ask a question, he wasn't legitimately wanting to know the answer to that question. He already knew the answer to the question. What he was doing was asking a thought-provoking question to maybe get a point across to somebody. Uh, many times the Pharisees would ask questions in an accusing manner and a tone and they would ask questions like, why, why do you do this? And why, why do your disciples do this? And why are you violating the Sabbath? Why are you doing, they would accuse him of, of going against the, um, the, the rabbis or even the law of Moses or accuse him of, or try to accuse him of doing something wrong. And in return, he would ask them a question. He would say, oh, you're going to ask me a question? Well, let me ask you a question. Well, why do you do this? Or what about this? Or have you not read this? Or what did Moses say? And he would ask them a question in return. And uh, that was a way of, of him showing them or exposing their hypocrisy. Now, he wasn't legitimately wanting an answer to the question. He already knew the answer. But he was asking a question in order to drive a point across and many times he would answer their questions with questions of his own. And it was many times it was questions that they could not answer or they refused to answer because they knew the obvious implication was that he was exposing their hypocrisy. So in Jesus' ministry, he actually asked 135 questions. And that's a really uh, something to, to ponder because it's a good strategy to use if you're witnessing to somebody many times instead of you just telling them well did this and this and this and the bible says this you can ask a question a thought-provoking question and kind of make a statement in the form of a question or ask a thought-provoking question that will get the person to start thinking even if they don't ask the question i mean answer the question they'll start trying to think well and so if you're witnessing to somebody and um, people start bringing objections to the Bible or objections to what you're saying, you can simply just ask them questions. Well, oh, you don't believe this? Or, well, why, why not? Oh, you do, you, and then they, well, what do you believe? Well, why do you believe that? Well, how did you arrive at that conclusion? And a lot of times people, they'll just repeat things that they've heard and they think, oh, that sounds pretty like a good argument I think I'll use it myself and it's not original they'll say something like 
well, don't you know the Bible was translated several times and all of this and, and oh, okay, so why do you believe that? Well, tell me about it. Well, the Bible was corrupted. Well, tell me, how did that happen? You know, just, well, I believe this. Okay, well, tell me, why do you believe that? And that way you're not necessarily accusing them of saying something that's wrong, even though they are. You're just asking a question. Now, in uh, Jesus' ministry, many times he did that. Sometimes they were sincere questions, although because he was, you know, we know that he was God in the flesh, and he could have at any time and many times did exercise his um, ability to read minds and, and know everything. He was omniscient. Uh, but um, he asked 135 questions during his ministry. And this morning, I'm going to go through some of the questions that Jesus asked. And we're going to look at some of these things. And there were different topics that he would cover during these different questions that he asked. And the first one I want you to see is here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 3. It's a question regarding tradition. Tradition. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 3. He said, but he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Your tradition, a, qu a question regarding tradition. Now here in our text, in the, in, the, in the immediate context, the Pharisees, if you go back to verse one, it says, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders notice they didn't say why do they transgress the word of god notice they did not say why do they transgress the law of moses what did they what did they accuse the disciples of doing transgressing the tradition of the elders for they wash not their hands when they eat bread they <laughs> they were saying Try, they, they, these guys were gnat strainers. Jesus said, you strain it and that, you, you swallow a camel. They're, you're nitpicking. You, you get the, mic, the magnifying glass and you're trying to find the smallest because they weren't doing anything wrong and Jesus never sinned. And so, but they were trying to find fault and they said, we've, we've, got, we've got to find some contradiction. We've got, to, we've got to find something to accuse him of and and Oh, we found something. They didn't wash their hands before they ate. And they're accusing him of, or the disciples of sinning. Well, that's spiritually unclean. No, it's not. I mean, it's maybe not a good health practice, but there's nothing spiritually wrong with not washing your hands before you eat, especially if you're out walking around outside and traveling and you don't have access to a, a sink or, or running water or something but uh so notice he said why do they disciples they transgress the transgress the tradition of the elders verse three but he answered and said to them why do ye also transgress the not the tradition of the elders the commandment of god by your tradition and he goes on and he says, here's what God commanded. Here's what Moses wrote in the, in the law, in the, in the Torah. And here's what God commanded. Here's what Moses commanded. But you, you change it and you do this and you do that. You do something else. And then he goes in verse six, 
and honor not his father or his mother. He shall be free is something they were changing the commandments. He said, and he concludes, thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition, by your tradition. In Judaism, they had what was called a, the rabbinical tradition. In Judaism, you have not, do you not only have the Torah and the Old Testament, the, the Tanakh, but they have what's called the Talmud. And the Talmud is, is a collection of writings by different rabbis through history, basically their commentary on the Torah. And they have, um, in, the, in the Talmud, the, the rabbinical writings, they have added all of these different things. And at this time, we see in, even in the Bible, they had added to the law of, of Moses and they have um, created these, these rules and regulations. It was very legalistic way beyond the intended scope of the Torah. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 23, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They were making all of these very strict rules and regulations and, and telling people that they were wrong for doing certain things and not doing certain things. In fact, they, they still do certain things like that today. Did you know the Orthodox Jews on, today on the Sabbath, uh, they are not supposed to use electricity on Saturday, on the Sabbath, the Orthodox Jews. That means they're not even supposed to turn on a light switch. They're not supposed to drive a vehicle. In fact, did you know, well, you probably don't know, I'm about to tell you, but uh, um, years ago at the hotel at Turtle Bay that I work at, they had this huge group of these Orthodox Jews that came in and they brought in their own cooks and their own cookware and all these things to cook these kosher meals. And I think it was during one of their feast days, really big event. They were spending a lot of money and the hotel was accommodating them. And ironically, they had to have a, the security guard standing there for them to press the button on the elevator because they were not allowed to press the button on the elevator. Why? Because of what I just said, that on the Sabbath, they're not supposed to use electricity. They're not even supposed to turn on a light switch. Now they can leave the lights on from the previous day and still use electricity they just cannot flip the switch and turn it on. Because in the Old Testament, it said on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to kindle a flame. They said, well, kindling a flame, if I turn on this light switch and it, act, and it turns on the light bulb, that's kind of similar to kindling a flame. It's kind of strange. You can use it, but you can't press the button to use it. So a security guard has to stand there and press the button on the elevator for them to use... They're still using electricity. They're just having somebody else do it for them. But they're still using the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> they do? Oh, I heard they're not supposed to. They still use, yeah. You see, they find these little ways to get around it. Now, is that in the Bible? Are, are, are we disobeying the Bible by flipping on the light switch? Well, I mean, in the Bible, we're no, no longer under the law. Let's say we were under the law. Uh, is that what the Bible intended? Which is, you know, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday, by the way. 
flipping on a light switch is not equivalent of, of cooking and, and, and working and all of that. But see, where do they get that from? They get that from these rabbinical writings, from tradition. Another thing that they're not supposed to do. They're not supposed to eat anything where any dairy product comes in contact with meat. Like cheese. No cheeseburgers. No meat toppings on your pizza. If you do that, according to them, they think it's a sin. Where do they get that from? Well, there's a verse in the Old Testament that said you're not supposed to boil a, a, a goat in the, the his own mother's milk. And so they that's where they got that from. And so they get these little things. Oh, and they try to apply it to all of these things that goes way beyond the intention and the scope of the original writing. So that is tradition. That's tradition. And so they had these, something like that during the time of Jesus where you weren't supposed to eat without washing your hands. And they thought, well, it's a sin. We got it. We got it. We finally found something. And no, you didn't. And Jesus said, you know what? You... <laughs> Why do you guys transgress the word of God by your tradition and, and, and change these verses to suit your own benefit and, and to get money and all of these things? Uh, there's many churches today that, that maybe it's not exactly how it was with the uh, Judaism and the, and the rabbis, but they make the word of God of none effect by their tradition. Uh, a classic example is the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church, their official statement on final authority and the and the authority is they will say they have said and it's a very accessible very very easy to find out the bible is not the final authority in the roman catholic church they say that our authority is the bible plus tradition tradition in spite of the fact of of what jesus said that you make the word of god of none effect by your tradition and then you have this church that actually officially states that their authority is the Bible plus tradition. Now, why would they say that? They have to say that because there are so many things in the Roman Catholic Church that are official Roman Catholic Church doctrine that are not found in the Bible. <laughs> why? Because of that fact right there. They have what they consider, that they think that the Roman Catholic Church, they teach that the Roman Catholic Church has this apostolic succession. Where, where you have Jesus and the disciples that, and, and then they believe that Peter was the first pope and that the disciples, um, they have these, this succession that goes all the way to the Roman Catholic Church where they think they can trace their lineage all the way back to the original disciples and, and Peter and Jesus Christ. And they say that that's it. And we're the, we're, we're the one and only true church. You need to be careful when somebody claims that they are the one and only true church. There's more churches like that. That We're, we're the ones. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. We're the one and only true church. Jehovah's Witnesses, we are the ones. Church of Christ, we are the ones. We're the one and only true church. And you have to be a part of our church. And you have to be baptized in our church by one of our elders. Because we're the ones who have the authority. They all think that they are the one and only true church. Now, in the Roman Catholic Church, they have some of their teachings that are based on the teachings of the church fathers. Not just the Bible, but the church fathers that they believe that, uh, came through that, that lineage. And so, through, in history, you have some of these men who taught certain things 
and they believe that this is apostolic tradition and they have teachings that are not found in the Bible such as the rosary praying to Mary is that in the Bible no it's not purgatory is that in the Bible no it's not sprinkling babies and all of this other stuff all that stuff is not in the Bible and all the sacraments and all those things that they teach it gives you grace so that's a classic example of somebody teaching tradition and making the word of God of none effect through their tradition now all tradition is not bad as far as things that are practiced in churches go to for 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In fact, the Bible talks about tradition in a positive light in this verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Right there, it says that you're supposed to follow certain tradition. So how do you know if tradition is something that you should follow or something that you should reject? Well, tradition should not contradict the Bible. If the Bible is the final authority not Bible plus tradition. See, the Roman Catholic Church, they'll take that verse and they'll use that to justify their stand on or, or their statement of faith about tradition being the authority. They say, see, look right there. Okay, but the difference is the tradition that Paul was teaching lines up with the Bible. He wrote most of the New Testament, you understand? And so somebody that comes a few hundred years later after Paul and starts teaching things that are not in the Bible and that and you use that as well that's apostolic tradition that's completely different than what Paul is saying right here you understand because he was one of the writers of the Bible so tradition is not bad always but if it contradicts the Bible then you go by the Bible and not tradition see that's what one of the things that Martin Luther was teaching in the Protestant Reformation Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, the Bible. The Bible should be the final authority. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That word perfect in the Bible often means complete, not sinless, but complete. So Scripture Scripture should be the final authority. That's how you test all teachings and traditions. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In the Bible, they said we have a more sure word of prophecy. Even what, what we heard from God speaking from heaven, that no, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Scripture. You know, in uh, Protestant churches, in, in Christian churches, in Baptist churches, there is tradition. There is tradition. Now, some things that we do are kind of traditional. Uh, many Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches, what do they do? They have Sunday school first, and then they have the, the main service, right? And main churches, they have a Wednesday night service. And they'll sing a few songs, and then they take up the offering. And then they sing another song, right? 
And that's kind of the order of service is kind of traditional. It's tradition. Is it bad tradition? No. Does it contradict the Bible? No. But there are some churches where if they did things in different order, some people would think, well, you're not supposed to do that. Well, you're not supposed to take the offering at the end of the service. It's always supposed to be like after the second song. And if you did something a little bit different in that church, people would get offended and they'd think, well, that's, you're doing it wrong. If there was a new pastor and he changed things up, well, we've always done it this way. We're supposed to have the evening service on Wednesday night, not Thursday night. And it's supposed to be at this time. And, and that's, that's our tradition. <laughs> so uh, if people, if you mix things up a little bit, as long as it doesn't violate the word of God or, you know, or some, you know, you have to think about people's conscience and things like that too. I understand all that stuff, but um, don't get so hung up on tradition. There's other ways that people are hung up on tradition and they, they make tradition of equal authority with the word of God, like standards and convictions. It's called legalism. So it, there's nothing wrong with having convictions, but if you can't show that it's backed up by the Bible across the board and should apply to every person, then you some of those convictions you kind of have to keep to yourself. There are some preachers that I have heard that they think it's wrong for a Christian to have a television in his home. Chapter and verse? No, no chapter and verse. Now, some of their convictions are not specified in the Bible, but they're basing on biblical principles. Okay, well, that's good. But if it's not outlined in the Bible specifically, you cannot say, thus saith the Lord, you, you should not have a TV in your home. Okay, there's nothing wrong with a TV. It's just an electrical device. It depends what you use it for and what you are watching. You know, you can watch all kinds of really good Christian programs on, you know, the on the internet and, and uh, you know, with a smart TV, it's basically a, a computer now. You can access the internet and YouTube and all of that. So it depends what you use it for. You know, there's some of these holiness Pentecostal churches, they think it's wrong for women to wear makeup. Chapter and verse. It's wrong for Nathan told me when he was um, going to deputation, trying to get churches to support him as a missionary, there was one church that had a questionnaire, and one of the questions was, does your wife ever wear pants? That's legalism. Okay? It's one thing to have that conviction. That's fine to have convictions. But to try to say that it's wrong for every Christian across the board to ever do this to violate because you have that personal conviction... That's where you're crossing the line, okay? And so a lot of people, they think that their tradition is on equal plane with the Word of God, just like the Pharisees did. It's funny because there's a joke, but there's a lot of truth in it. For, for most Christians, anybody who has a conviction that they don't share, they say they could accuse that person of being legalistic, and every person had, who has standards lower than them, they can accuse that person of being carnal or worldly because everybody thinks that their position is the correct one, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 
but there's a lot of truth in that. But anyway, tradition, tradition. So there are some traditions that are good. There are some traditions that are not so good. But the main thing that you have to remember is the Bible is the final authority. This is how you test tradition, whether the tradition is a good tradition or a bad tradition. And so the Bible's final authority. Okay, let's look at another question that Jesus asked. This is a question that regards a certain person's or people's reaction. We looked at tradition. Now we're going to look at people's reaction. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, verse 61. John chapter 6, verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself, see, he knew it. He was able to read their mind. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it. He said unto them, Doth this offend you? Doth this offend you? John 6, 61. Doth this offend you? Now, why do you think he was asking that? You think Jesus was genuinely concerned. Oh, I hope I didn't offend anybody. Doth this offend you? Well, yes, it does. Oh, I'm so sorry. I... I I didn't mean it. Please, please um, forgive me. I, I really didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm so sorry. I, I let me re, let me rephrase it. I t- let me take it back. Let me say it a different way. That that's that's less offensive. That's well received. You think that's why he was asking that? Why do you think he was asking that? He was kind of. <laughs> Doth this offend you? Look at verse 62. Doth this offend you? He said, Oh, yeah? You don't like that? You think that's offensive? How about this? I give you something even worse. I'll, I'll up the ante. That's what he did. Look at the next verse. What? Well, how about this one? If you think that's bad. Jesus was never concerned or bothered about hurting people's feelings when he taught and when he preached. He offended people, sometimes intentionally. There's another verse where it says in Matthew 15, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard his saying? And what? Do you think he was bothered by that? Oh, no. Oh, man. What did I do now? Oh, I got myself in a mess. The the Pharisees are offended. Oh, man. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I I better go and apologize. I better go and smooth things over. And and I better go and and tell them that uh, they misinterpreted me. And it's it's a misunderstanding. No, you never see Jesus reacting like that. You see him with the attitude like, all right, so be it. If you don't like it, well, I don't care. Take it or leave it. Or the times he said he would even do worse. Oh, you think that's bad? Or how about this? And he would just add insult to injury. Offended, offended. Why were they offended? Why were they offended? Did Jesus ever say anything wrong? No, he didn't. Why were they offended? You know, the Bible talks about the offense of the cross. Go to 
Did you know that this symbol offends somebody, some people? Why? The Bible talks about the offense of the cross. Why does that offend people? It's a good question. It's a good question, isn't it? People are offended by the Bible. Why? Well, there are several reasons why. Number one, one of the reasons is because the Bible exposes the sinfulness of man. The Bible exposes the sinfulness of man. The Bible basically condemns man in the sense that this symbol right here, many people think, well, this is a wonderful symbol. People will use it as a, a fashion accessory in their jewelry. They'll put it on a tombstone. They'll... Um, think it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful symbol and it is to the people who are saved we sing songs about the cross but for some people that is offensive because it tells them that a man died on that cross and the reason why he died on that cross is for their sin and people do not like to think of themselves as a sinner in need of salvation. It's kind of like that symbol tells people that they can be healed, but they, before they are healed, they have to understand that they are sick. And people don't want to hear that. People don't want to believe that about themselves. They want to believe that they are a good, wonderful people, person and that God loves them just the way they are. And so people find that offensive. That symbol right there tells the world that there's only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's like the, the common saying is if you could earn your way to heaven, that means that Jesus Christ didn't have to die. That means that, that he went through all that for nothing. If you can do it your own way through your own works without Jesus Christ, why did he have to die? It was just a big waste of time for Jesus Christ dying on the cross. So people find that offensive. That right there, that symbol, tells the world that all other religions that do not acknowledge and recognize Jesus Christ are false religions. And people find that offensive. Well, you guys think that you're the only one who's right and everybody else is wrong. You think that you're the only way. You think that there's only one way to God. I believe that, that all religions are basically the same and, and they're, like, they're like rivers flowing into the same ocean and that uh, that's just their way of worshiping God and God accepts everybody because everybody has their own way to worship him and God, really? No, no, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what the Bible says. And so people find that offensive. Paul said to the Galatians, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You've heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Many people hate God. They hate the word of God. They hate Jesus Christ. They hate people who would try to spread the message of the gospel. Why? There's a very, very profound statement, a saying that I found recently. It says this, Truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. 
Truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. There are people who hate the truth of the word of God. And when you say something that they disagree with, they accuse you of being hateful. They accuse you of hating people. Classic example, homosexuality. You're homophobic. You're transphobic. You hate homosexuals. You hate transgender people. You hate people of other religions. Islamophobic. You hate, you hate, you hate. You're full of hate. No. To you, truth sounds like hate because you hate the truth. That's why. You hate the truth of the word of God. I'm trying to preach love. Now to you, it sounds like hate because you disagree with it because it goes against your sinful activity. The reason why God said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, is because he has a love for his creation and he knows that there are certain activities that are destructive. So they say, nope, I hate you. I hate everyone. I don't want to be under your authority. I want to live my life the way I see fit. And so therefore, anything that you say that goes and challenges or goes against my lifestyle and my worldview and my philosophy, I'm going to try to use this intimidating tactic and I'm going to label you as a hate monger to try to shut you up. That's what it is. You ever heard of cancel culture? These college universities today, they want to, anybody who says something that opposes their worldview, instead of them engaging in a civil dialogue and debate and exercise critical thinking, they all automatically accuse that person of, they're racist, they're this, they're that. They put all, throw all these labels out there and they have the, what's called cancel culture where they want to cancel you. They want to prohibit you and censor you. They don't want you to have free speech if you disagree with them. You ever heard of microaggressions where all of these college students, they have what's called safe spaces at their university where you're not allowed to say anything that deviates from their worldview and their political ideology. So they have safe spaces where they won't be triggered. They won't be offended. They won't, they won't, they won't see, hear anything that, that disagrees with what their professor taught them. You know, they, I've read articles where people were offended by the American flag. It's a symbol of oppression, imperialism, and, and white supremacy. And now you have all of these fragile, delicate little babies in their 20s and even older, 30s, who are making videos on TikTok. Because somebody didn't use their preferred pronouns when they were working at Starbucks. Yeah. That's a trend now for these people to go and make little videos and put them on social media 
actually crying, grown adults crying with tears, complaining about how they were triggered and how somebody said something that was offensive and hateful. They were offended, offended. This, this culture that we're living in right now, it is causing, it's not, it's, they're raising up a whole generation of people that are too afraid and incapable of even having a rational discussion with somebody who has opposing viewpoints. They're being indoctrinated. They're being taught how to just try to shut somebody up and accuse them of, of being hateful and all without even being able to use, exercise any type of critical thinking. Somebody gets invited to speak at the college campus. They have conservative viewpoints. And these people throw temper tantrums and they start rioting and try to pre and throw passing out flyers to everybody and saying, Don't don't attend this person, don't go listen to him because he's this and he's that and he's this, and using all these labels and trying to protest and and, and it's actually it's been somewhat effective in some points because the person can't even go and and have his speech that he was invited to because of these people rioting and breaking windows and protesting. It's just ridiculous. Uh, what's going to happen with that type of uh, person? Well, what's going to happen in the real world where they're not in their little safe space? They're going to be offended. They're going to be offended. People are offended. They were offended at Jesus Christ. When I was going to Bible college on the mainland, I one of my jobs was uh, delivering food. Now, I had my own personal vehicle. And people would order takeout food and I'd go and deliver it to their house. I had some Bible verses, bumper stickers on the back of my vehicle. While I was working, I had the the sign of the the business up on attached to the roof of my vehicle. And there was somebody who saw in while well, driving around in traffic the Christian bumper stickers that I had on my own personal vehicle, and they were offended. And they called the establishment to complain to the manager that I had these Bible verse bumper stickers while I was working for this establishment. And the manager took my side and said it was, well, it's freedom of speech. <laughs> this was in the South in the Bible Belt. They were offended. Why? Some of the same reasons why they were offended at Jesus Christ. Offended. Okay, so that was a reaction. Here, here's something else, another question that Jesus asked. And this was a question regarding recognition. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Matthew 16, verse 15. He saith unto them, actually, let's back up to verse 13. Let's start at verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14, and they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Verse 15, 
He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? That's a good question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you who am I? Am I just a prophet? Who am I? Who do you think that I am? Am I an imposter? Am I a false prophet? Am I crazy? Am I uh, just somebody out to make a name for myself? Am I a cult leader? Who am I? Who am I? People have different ideas about who Jesus was or even if he even existed. Some people say, well, he was a good man. He was a prophet in Islam. Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet just like any of the other prophets. He was like Abraham. He was like Moses. He was, he was not they say the son of God. Islam teaches that God has no son. Jesus was a prophet. He was not the son of God. That's their view of Jesus Christ. Some people say that Jesus was a revolutionary. He was a hippie. He was this. He was that. Most people will acknowledge that he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He was a rabbi. Uh, but they don't believe that he was the son of God. Now, if you break it down and if you analyze the statements, the claims that he made about himself, logically speaking, based on the claims that he made, if these claims, he actually made these claims. Now, some could argue that he really didn't make these claims in the Bible. It was just his followers just wrote that and made it up. Let's assume that the claims in the Bible that Jesus made about himself were actual claims that he made. Nobody fabricated it and, and misquoted it. That these statements that, that are recorded in the Bible are actually what he actually said. Logically speaking, there are only three logical conclusions. Number one, you could, some people could argue he was a liar. Oh, he said he was the son of God. He lied. He's not the son of God. He wants people to believe that he was, but he really wasn't. He's an egotist. He's wants a following. He's like these cult leaders that they want to lie to people and, and have this devotion and, and so they can control people. He was a liar. He's really not the son of God. He's really not who he claimed to be. Some people might say, well, I don't think he was lying. I mean, he's a good guy. He was a good teacher. He went around and he exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He went around healing people and performing miracles. And, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount. He, he was a good teacher. He taught good morals. He, he, he said some things that, that are real, general, common truths that we try to live by. He said, do unto others if you would have them do unto you. And that's a great principle to live by so no i'm not going to say he was a liar jesus uh, he's he's a really good guy but i don't think that he was really god in the flesh i don't think he really rose from the dead maybe he 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 believed those things but i, I i'm not going to go so far as to say that he was a liar i mean you have to be really bold to say he was a liar so no i'm not going to say he was a liar I'm not going to say he was really God, but no, he wasn't a liar. He was just a good teacher. So that makes him a lunatic. How so? Somebody who believes that they really are God in the flesh, they are the only begotten son of God, and they're not? 
but they're not lying. They're really deluded. They really believe that about themselves. We would say that they're crazy. We would say that they are schizophrenic. Maybe they're not really out there intentionally trying to deceive people. They are really convinced that they are the Messiah. That everybody has to worship them and believe them and accept them in order to go to heaven. Think of the, some of the things that Jesus said. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Without me, ye can do nothing. Well, that's absurd. If it's not true. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. If you don't believe me, that basically he said, if you don't believe me, you're going to go to hell. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. People who really believe that, and there are people who believe that they are God, either they're lying or they're crazy. Unless what he said was true. He's either, based on the claims that he made about himself, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. If you use deductive reasoning, which one is it? Now, people have all kinds of ideas about who he was. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Yeah, some other people say all kinds of things. I want to know, Jesus said, I want to know who do you say that I am? Not what do other people teach about me? Not what other religions believe about me? You. And that's one question that everybody must answer in a sense. They must recognize him as the son of God in order to be saved. I was listening to a conservative talk show program on my way to work the, uh, about a week ago. And they were talking about, I think they were talking about judging people or about who, who's right or who's wrong in this certain situation. And this one woman on that was part of this talk show program, she was saying, I can't remember the, the exact uh, content of the conversation. I do remember one quote that she made that's, that really stuck in my mind, but she was saying, well, nobody, nobody can, can judge me for this or this or that except sweet baby Jesus. And I thought, sweet baby Jesus? Why would you refer to him as sweet baby Jesus? He was a man for a lot longer than he was a baby when he was here on the earth. And that's only when he was here on the earth. And where is he still a baby in heaven after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven? Is he still a baby? Sweet baby Jesus? Why would somebody refer, in, in, in the context of Jesus being able to judge them, why would you refer to him as sweet baby Jesus? I know why. Because if you can, in your mind, have what the Bible calls another Jesus and visualize him in the concept of sweet baby Jesus, well, that's, that's very harmless and non-threatening. And so most people, if their concept of, of the, the judge of the universe is sweet baby Jesus, well, you can, in your mind, get away with all kinds of things because sweet baby Jesus is not going to judge you for what you're doing. And sweet baby, a sweet baby Jesus might just give you a little slap on the wrist. 
sweet baby Jesus. Jesus said, who do you believe that I am? Who do you believe that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Many people I find, they say, oh, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was the son of God. Yes, but are you believing with your mind or your heart? The Bible says the devils also believe and tremble. The Bible says with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So, recognition. Who do you say that I am? You know, people have come up with all kinds of ridiculous theories to try to discredit the resurrection. They say, well, I, I have to acknowledge because the evidence is overwhelming for his existence. I acknowledge that there was in history an actual man who walked this earth approximately 2,000 years ago by the name of Jesus or people referred to him as Jesus and he had this great impact and, and influence on the people at that time and even history up until now. So yes, I even atheists will say yes, I am pressed to admit the fact that I do believe that this man Jesus actually lived. But he certainly was not the Son of God. He certainly did not perform miracles. Sorry, I'm being interrupted. Sorry about that. They will, they will say he certainly did not rise from the dead. Because if he rose from the dead, well then I have to admit that he was who he claimed to be. Oh, so, so how do we get rid of this, this resurrection story? How do we shoot holes in this? We have to, we, you know, the people think that he rose from the dead, so how do we get rid of this resurrection? Oh, I know. I think that he didn't really die. He just appeared to be dead, and when they took him off the cross, and then when they put him in the tomb and wrapped him up in this, like a mummy with 80 pounds of spices and, you know, holes in his hands and his feet and all in his side and all of that, then he revived in the tomb and he miraculously unraveled himself and moved the stone and escaped undetected by the guards and the disciples came to the tomb and they found the tomb empty and they said, oh, he rose from the dead even though they didn't believe that he was going to rise from the dead when he told them about it and they were afraid the whole time and all, you know. Oh, I know. Um, so that's called the swoon theory. Oh, I know. There's the uh, theft theory. The disciples stole his body. Uh, they went and the guards were asleep and they rolled away the, the stone and, and it didn't wake up the guards even though they would have been killed if they were caught and they stole his body and took his body and, and then went around and, and preached that he rose from the dead even though that while they were preaching they were beaten and thrown in jail and killed for doing it they knew it was a lie but they still did it anyway ridiculous theories the swoon theory, the theft theory, the, the this, all these different theories that they come up with to try to discredit the resurrection, which are very illogical when you really analyze. Oh, I know. Uh, they, they thought he rose from the dead because it was a mass hallucination. See, these are, these are the best they could come up with. These are the top three most popular theories to discredit the resurrection when it comes to skeptics of the Bible. The theft theory, the swoon theory, and then the hallucination theory. They think that when he appeared to 500 people at once, they believe that all these people experienced the exact same hallucination at the same time. And these other people, when they, you know, Thomas, you know, Jesus said, come and handle me and all that. Uh, they believe that these other people, that these other uh, 
times in history and circumstances that they all had the same hallucination. And I mean, any um, medical professional that deals with psychiatry and things, he'll tell you that, you know, it's almost impossible for that many people to have the, the exact same hallucination at the same time, which is both, both visual and audible and tangible and, and all these other things. It's, so anyway, recognition, recognition, let me move on. Another question that involves some submission. Go to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six, verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoa, <laughs> that's a pretty pointed verse, isn't it? That's pretty convicting, isn't it? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things? What does Lord mean? Lord basically means master or ruler. You know what the word Lord implies? Obedience, obedience. Why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? You call him Lord, we call him Lord, right? And sometimes we don't do the things that he says, right? In the Bible, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Jesus was God in the flesh, right? Okay, so in that sense, you could say all the Bible is the word of Jesus. In that sense, inspired. Jesus said, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. It's one thing to just call Jesus Lord and to acknowledge that he's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what they say, what do they say? Actions speak louder than words, right? The Bible says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You call yourself a Christian, right? The word Christian has the word Christ in it. You take the name of Christ. He says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, Christian, Depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. A Christian should live different than he used to live before he was saved. A Christian should live, be living differently than the world. Separated, sanctified. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, we read at the end. It says, many in that day will come and they will say, Lord, Lord. Did we not do all these wonderful works in your name? Did we not cast out devils and, and perform miracles and all of these wonderful things in your name? And then will I say unto them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But they were calling him Lord. And they were religious. Lord, Lord, did we not do all these? Sounds like these charismatic that you see on TV performing these so-called miracles in the name of Christ. Lord, Lord, why call you me Lord, Lord? Do not the things that I say. I remember years ago witnessing to a good friend of mine talking about salvation and how to be saved and he was very self-righteous and he kept on saying, well, if the good Lord decides that what I did was not good enough and whatever, and I said, talking about what's going to happen after you die, and the Bible says that, you know, you're not good enough on your own, that you need Jesus Christ, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, I've been a good husband, and I've been a good father to my children and my family, and uh, you know, and, and the good Lord and the good Lord. And he kept on saying, well, 
whatever the good Lord decides at that day. And I said, but he's already decided. The Bible says he that believeth not is condemned already. Well, the good Lord, if that's what the good Lord decides, and if the good Lord decides that, that I wasn't good enough to, to make it through the pearly gates, well, then, then, then uh, I'll just have to go with whatever the good Lord decides. I said, the good Lord already decided. The good Lord said here in the Bible, this is what you need to do to be saved. Well, the good Lord, the good Lord, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Many religious people are like that. They call him Lord. They acknowledge who he is. But they don't trust what he said in the Bible when it comes to salvation. They're deluded into thinking that they are righteous in their own eyes. The Bible says, and they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The good Lord. Okay, last one. A question regarding damnation. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Look at verse 26. Matthew 16, verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? How much would you sell your eyes for? I'm not talking about an organ donor after you die. I'm talking about living right now. If somebody offered you a large sum of money for your eyes, so you, you go to the doctor, you go to the surgeon, and they take out your eyes and give them to somebody else as an organ transplant or something while you're still alive. How much would they have to pay you for you to give up your eyes? And you would be blind the rest of your life. How much money? A million? Two million? Five? A billion? How much money? Most people, I'm sure you can find some, but most people would say, no, my eyes are priceless. You cannot put a price on my eyes. No matter how much money you pay, it's not worth it for me to be completely blind the rest of my life. How much is your soul worth? If you cannot put a price on your eyes, how much is your soul worth? Your soul is worth much more than your eyes. And Jesus said, how, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. Your soul is much more valuable than just your eyes. Or your arms. Or your any other limb or organ of your body. That most people would not exchange for money and sell. Yet people sell their soul for a lot less. Figuratively speaking. Because many people would rather live a life of sin. And be their own God instead of submitting to the authority of God and getting saved. That's one thing that keeps people from getting saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. I understand salvation is not by works. You don't get saved by stop sinning. But many people, I believe, instinctively know that when they hear about salvation, or when God has revealed to them, they think, they balance it out. They say, okay, if I get saved, well, then there's these implied things that, you know, as living a Christian, then, I'll, you know, 
if I'm really going to be genuine and sincere and repent, then there's a there's a, a this change, this process that occurs, and and they they kind of weigh out the Christian life versus the sinful life. They say they count the cost. And they say I don't know if if that's really worth it to me. Because Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You understand? And so in that sense, many people, they sell their soul for a lot less than what they would sell their eyes for. A sinful life. What shall a prophet a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There was a man. How, well, how much money would, would, you have, would it be worth for you to go to hell? To live a life, if you could inherit the whole world and live like a king, but go to hell, how much would that be worth? Would it be worth it? Is that a good exchange rate? <sighs> 70, 80, 90 years of pleasure versus eternity in hell. Is that a good exchange? Is that a good deal? I don't think so. In Luke chapter 16, there was a rich man who ended up going to hell. A rich man. A rich man. He lived a life of luxury. There's a question. How much did the rich man, the richest man who ever lived, how much did he leave behind after he died? You know what the amount is? The answer is all of it. That's how much he left behind. All of it. Every single penny. And once somebody dies, they cannot take one single cent with them to the grave. They might have a great, elaborate, expensive funeral and a tombstone and all of that. But after death, at the time of their death, their death is exactly the same as somebody who is completely dead, broke, in poverty. Now that money may, if they have access to it, may prolong their life with medical care and all those things. But there's going to come a time, and it doesn't matter how rich that person is, it doesn't matter how famous that person was, there comes a time when that money can no longer prolong their life and the doctors cannot do anything. And there comes a time when they are exactly the same as a homeless person who is dead broke and they pass from the body to the realm of death and the soul leaves the body. In ancient Egypt, in some of the, the tombs with the pharaohs, they would, when they would bury them as, and mummify them, they would place objects in there, in the tomb, physical objects like, like food and other things, in the tombs with those pharaohs, thinking that those things, they would be able to access those things and use them in the afterlife to prepare their journey in the afterlife. Of course, it's completely worthless because when you die you cannot take anything with you nothing material it does not matter how rich you are it doesn't matter what kind of uh, fame and fortune and all of those things and what kind of person you were after you die none of those things are going to benefit you in the afterlife apart from salvation and the word of God and the spiritual things in the Bible even if you could live like a king and, and some of these dictators you can read about in history, Mao Zedong, they say he had 3,000 concubines. They, some of these emperors, uh, people like Solomon, who was wealthy beyond belief and had, could have anything he wanted. 
there's been many people like that in history, these, these rulers of these countries and emperors and dictators, where they are almost worshipped by the people that they rule over. Maybe not since, maybe out of fear of being imprisoned or killed or tortured. In, in China, the older generation, almost every house you could go in, they had a, a picture, a poster of Mao Zedong. They reverenced him like a god. In the schools, they would have his picture in the classroom. They, would, they were brainwashed into thinking that, that he was like a god, that he was the greatest person who ever lived. He had whatever he wanted. He had the, the devotion of all the people there. He had, they say he could have any woman that he wanted. And he was a very, his, he had very poor hygiene. They say that he never brushed his teeth, never. He didn't, he very rarely bathed. He was a gross, sick old man. Yet they reverenced him like a god. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Would it be worth it? Would it be worth it to have anything and everything you could possibly imagine in this life and then die and go to hell? Jesus talked about a man who was like that and he thought, oh man, I just have it made and I can just sit back and relax and I don't have to worry about the future. Just party and just enjoy myself this lavish lifestyle, lifestyles of the rich and famous. And he said and, and about this man, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And what happens to somebody like that who rejects Jesus Christ the whole life, their whole life, and then they die and go to hell? Is it worth it? What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, the whole world, and lose his own soul? And many people, they lose their own soul for a lot less, for a lot less, rejecting the greatest gift that they could ever have. They lose their soul. What does that mean when you lose your soul? It means you go to hell, you lose your soul. Your soul is the most valuable thing that you have. Make sure you don't lose your soul. Because whatever you trade your soul in for, it is not worth it. You're... I remember years ago, I heard this, this young woman who was giving her testimony and talking about the background that she was came out of. And she said, if you don't get saved, you're ripping yourself off. You're ripping yourself off. And that's so true. So many people think, wow, oh, if I get saved, oh, I'm going to miss out on so much and my life's going to be so boring. And you're ripping yourself. That is such a lie from the devil. You're ripping yourself off. Questions, questions. So we saw Jesus asked a question regarding tradition, a question regarding reaction. A question regarding recognition, recognizing who he is. A question regarding submission. And then a question regarding damnation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again for the word of God and 
these questions just these are just a sample of questions that Jesus asked during his ministry I pray that we would get from these these questions more than just what's on the surface but that we would really ponder these things and and comprehend the the implications of many of these questions that were actually statements made in the form of a question and I pray that everybody here would take these things to heart and and see that the seriousness that, that some of this it's nothing to play around with it's nothing to dismiss lightly I pray that we would all have the correct response to these questions as we continue to strive to live our life for you in Jesus name Amen